This podcast is made possible by the generosity of listeners like you. Kindly consider a contribution through Patreon or PayPal. Links are in the details box. Patreon is a monthly subscription that you can cancel anytime. And PayPal is a one-time donation. Any amount is appreciated. And follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. The handle, The Beirut Banyan. And you can find us on our YouTube channel with the same name. And you can start watching the episodes as they're released. Thank you for listening. And thank you for watching. I'm Rani Shatah, and this is the Beirut Banyan. I think it was back in November, um, mm-hmm. sort of the first weeks of the protests, that uh, I was very lucky, recordings on a daily basis, sometimes two recordings a day. And I was meeting many people uh, fully involved in the moment. And there was a lot of hope at that time, a lot of optimism. And it feels like um, it feels like a bygone era in a way. And at the same time, there's still some common threads that linger. But uh, I was very, very fortunate that I got to meet you in the early stages of this whole sort of very, very, very dramatic year. And uh, you were, I think you had a cold. And you still showed yeah. up despite being sick. And it's funny now, if that were to happen now, I would I would run away from you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Times have changed in every way possible. But you sat down next to me. You were a bit tired, a bit sick, and you're maybe like chamomile tea with some honey. And oh, exactly, it's like this poor guy is going to fall apart. <laughs> but I could tell. I could tell just by speaking to you for maybe half an hour. It was a short Twitter. episode. I learned a lot, and I learned a lot. I was inspired, I think, by you, actually. I look back on it now, that you were giving all of your effort back then, and you continue to do so. But anyway, anyway, uh, it was a special occasion for me, and all the more special that we can release this on the day of the anniversary. And um, let's start there, sort of mm-hmm. jump into what the anniversary means to you. And I, this is a very, it, it can sound like a silly question, but I think there's something here that it's it's not just a year that went by. Everything happened in the last year, the good, the bad, and then, of course, the unexpected. So I, I'd like to just gauge your mind on that simple question. We can start there. Does the anniversary have any special significance to you? Or is it really just happens to be the year that went by and we still have a lot of work to do? I mean, it, it's it's mostly it's mostly the second one. To be very fair with you, mm, especially mm. that the mood is not extremely celebratory in Beirut today, and especially after the fourth of August, especially after everything that's still unfolding in terms of the economic collapse, the aftermath, and all of that. Yeah. But I mean, it's it's an invitation to reflect, and it's an invitation to force ourselves to look back, to pause a bit, and to stop being in a hurry and in a rush in responding to, I mean, the latest attacks by this uh, by this regime in a sense. And to really assess what happened this year, to understand what were our strengths, where we were able to hit hard and actually hurt this regime, where we maybe underestimated ourselves a bit and were a bit too optimistic, had a bit of wishful thinking in yeah. the way we went about it. So, so I, I'm, I'm seeing it in that, in that lens, in that way. I'm, 
for me, it's arbitrary that uh, we're reflecting on it after after a year because it's not really changing anything in the tempo of, uh, of, of, of I mean, political life uh, in Lebanon at this stage. So, so yeah. You're the person to ask about maybe long-term goals and grassroots activity. And I say this because your your professional career, and let me call it that in quotes, uh, the, the sort of this, the, the life that you live, the Lebanese sort of politics and media life that you live. And this is a very long, very uh, difficult journey. It goes back to before October 17 last year. But uh, just in terms of where the new political energy is right now. And this includes everything that this can range from disenfranchised groups expressing themselves openly. And that's, I think, a permanent change. This could also include the traditional, maybe more left-wing sort of politics that we kind of jumped into a year ago, but maybe there's more to talk about now. Is there permanent change that's positive in terms of the grassroots uh, activity? And do you see that as maybe one of the more important goals, uh, achievements, sorry, one of the more important achievements of the last year, that there is a new politics on the horizon? Absolutely. I mean, it's at the same time, the main shortcoming if we want to talk about it before the revolution, which, in my opinion, was one of the main reasons why the opportunity wasn't fully seized and is also part of the explanation to understand how we could move so fastly from hundreds of thousands of people in the street to a few hundreds. Right. It's basically the absence of this grassroots organizational component that's really able to provide, to provide people with an alternative framework to, uh, to be politically active, but also an alternative framework to go out their life. Uh, solidarity, uh, basically safety nets and networks that are able to provide alternative to the clientelist and capitalist economy that we have. So this was lacking before October 17. And I think we paid the price of the absence of this political solidarity infrastructure. But today it's happening. So yes, there's something to build on. There's something to be hopeful about. And for me, that's the only path that is really in a sense, a solid, uh, because it's one thing to have the battle of narratives, to try to win in terms of the discourse, in terms of the dominant, uh, the dominant narrative. And I think we've succeeded pretty well in doing so in the past 10 years and more importantly in the past year. But this needs to be followed by a much more solid take on how we organize ourselves politically. And the alternative for me is no longer an alternative that needs to translate into the the most explicit way, like people who are ready to run for elections. The alternative today also needs to incarnate an alternative way of going about our economy, going about the social and economic relations in a society that's completely crumbling. Uh, I think we're in a good path. I think what's also extremely important is that this monolithic block that was portrayed by the media as the opposition is being broken down into, into different pieces. Uh, I don't see it as something dangerous. I see it as something that provides further clarity and maturity to the way we go about politics. We're openly acknowledging the differences that we have in this opposition, and we're also building on the common grounds that we have to, I mean, go and walk together as much as we can in this political journey that's extremely long, and also acknowledging that at some point we will have differences when it comes to the economy, when it comes to our vision for the country, and so on. And that's, for me, an extremely healthy way to go about politics. To be able to acknowledge that we are in opposition to this regime, we are a resistance to this regime. I don't think we're within the framework of opposition and majority today. We're in a framework of an occupation force and a resistance to it. And we have our differences and we're not trying to hide them. We're dealing with them in a much more mature way than we used to be before. I'm going to play devil's advocate here and I'm curious about the longevity 
or let's say the time that it takes to actually get this so maybe this project started um if i'm not if i'm not mistaken you megaphone started after the Ustink protests so in 2017 that's true yeah. 2017 and prior to that and i remember our earlier conversation you took me back to my own aub career the secular club and yeah. sort of that i mean it's it's almost like a romantic tale that you're always sort of the alternative along the way but that there's a grassroots element that just takes a lot of work and maybe it's harder in some ways in the lebanese context now i'm just curious why why there have been previous sort of attempts at offering change and offering a different politics and even the maybe the structure that's necessary never takes hold do you see it taking hold this time around and i mean in the in the most basic sense that it just i mean i i remember the Ustink protests. I remember Beirut Medinati. I remember all of that, that it was almost, there's a problem and then you confront the problem, but there's very little in terms of changing the state or at least sort of addressing the, the existential sort of crisis and, and the politics that, that never took hold. Is that happening now from your side, from somebody who's seen this evolution and seen yeah. how, how much work it requires? I mean, I, I'm going to try to answer your question in two ways. The mm. first has to do with the evolution of, of grassroots work since pre-revolution time till today. Mm -hmm. I think that before we had, we had maybe two main battles to fight. The first was a battle of narratives. We needed to convince people that what we stood for made sense politically. And that wasn't an easy battle. I mean, we were completely marginal what we stood for in university as people who oppose the entire political class, who have progressive ideas, who are not willing to compromise. That was a battle of its own, a battle of ideas. In addition to that, we needed to mobilize people, which is something that's extremely hard in a country where giving your time and your effort and your energy to politics is not granted. We're living in an extremely dire situation back then, and even more today that doesn't really uh, give you the opportunity to, to just get involved politically, because I mean, that's a sacrifice that you make uh, on, on other fronts. So yeah. on that level, I think it's things have changed drastically because I don't think we have to convince anybody today that, that the regime needs to be radically changed. Mm -hmm. I think today we have to provide people with the vehicles, with the mechanisms where they believe that, okay, investing in this alternative, giving their time to this alternative is something that will get, they will get something in return. And this leads me to my, uh, to, my, to my second point, basically, which is the way we go about defining the regime is key to define the alternative. And then again, mm -hmm. the alternative mm -hmm. is not an alternative that needs to run for election necessarily. That's not how I see it. The regime is not uh, just a, a bunch of incompetent thieves that are in government. The regime is uh, a web of material interest, is, is an economic uh, system that doesn't provide us any opportunity either the market or clientelism. It's a web of interconnected factors that needs to be dismantled. Today, there's an opportunity because this system is having a hard time to reinvent itself. And it's an opportunity because there is room to recreate different forms of social, economic, and political relation between people on a smaller scale, on a on a decentralized scale, uh, uh, in a new way of doing politics that's not just about ideas and about demands, but it's also about actually building safety nets for people, building solidarity structures. So I think we're going in the right direction. And in terms of how fast these could happen, they're happening, they're happening quite fast. Uh, if you look at a year ago, we didn't have maybe 10% of the people uh, organized in groups. Today, they're yeah. widespread across the country. And the last point I wanted to make 
is actually the aftermath of the 4th of August. Because I think this is not something that was unpacked enough. Of course, you have the NGO structure. Of course, you have a lot of, in my opinion, bad reflexes that are reproducing stuff that are not radical and political in nature. But you have other also initiatives that are much more grassroots, that are much more based on solidarity neighborhood efforts that are recreating new forms of dynamics at the very local level, which in my opinion, if they get replicated, are a real threat to the regime because they're touching the regime in its most profound material basis. Uh, and let's not forget that the sectarian regime is rooted in material interest, first and foremost. The ideas, identities are uh, obviously something essential. They're the glue, if you want, of this regime. Mm -hmm. But it boils down to something extremely tangible. So breaking these chains at the local level, in my opinion, is also extremely important. But let's, you know what, I'm glad you brought up the the August 4th blast and, and also the economic downward spiral that we've all experienced in the last year. And this is maybe trying to maybe get your opinion on how, how, how bad things are and how difficult it is to rally people, if you will, to a different order or even going all the way, a different social pact. Is it, is it, is it possible even to do this? at such a late stage, just in terms of the level of pain. Not necessarily that this shouldn't be done. I mean, clearly this this work needs to be done even when things are really dire, but just in terms of it sticking and, and resonating, is it possible to actually do this well-needed work at a time where people are extremely, extremely, not just uh, in, in despair, it's almost like uh, everybody is sort of on the brink financially and and to some degree, security as well. And it really feels like everything that went wrong impacted us in individuals as well. It's not just the state collapsing. People are in, in, in very bad shape. So I guess what I'm asking is, could the timing be any worse <laughs> for this for this extremely important work? And was it maybe a missed opportunity in, in your mind, going back in time, that that this work may have been maybe the benefits would have been available today had it sort of started much earlier. And I'm not challenging the, 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 the good work that everyone's doing, just in terms of it resonating right now. I mean, in my opinion, that's precisely in this particular situation mm. that this type of politics will resonate and has its place mm. and is an opportunity to be experimented and even further developed. If today we're coming to people that are uh, completely despaired, some of them uh, jumping on boats trying to reach Cyprus. If we're coming with uh, our pamphlets, our manifestos, and our political ideas and telling them we are the alternative, then yeah, of course, we're absolutely, we're completely obsolete and we're completely, I mean, uh, outside uh, of the reality. But if we're going with a different approach and saying, listen, what we're facing today is, is an open war by this regime on people. Mm. It's, it's a regime mm. that today has decided to protect it, its interest by all means, at all costs, uh, yeah. even if that means people uh, not being able to, 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 to meet their basic needs. In this particular situation, it's an invitation to resist. It's not an invitation to be in opposition. We're no longer within a political realm. We're no longer within a battle for legitimacy, within the constitutional institutional framework. We're in a battle of survival. And this implies a new form of politics that's rooted in grassroots work, but that's also rooted in solidarity. And that is not just limited in ideas and visions and counter proposals and, 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 and programs and so on, but in much more lived local grassroots experience of building 
solidarity structures, political structures that can face basically this war that's being waged against the people at the economic level, at the security level with the police state. This is, in my opinion, the most relevant thing that could be done. And mm. it's a needed transformation for this opposition to really mm. become an opposition that can connect with the hundreds of thousands that took to the streets and not an elite that is merely uh, limited to a battle of ideas, a battle of legitimacy, which is important and needed, but in my opinion, insufficient at a time where the country is completely falling apart and collapsing. The work is is more favorable right now, a year after the protests started. I'm, I'm glad that's that's serious optimism. I, I don't hear that enough, that, that perhaps now it's even a more people are on your side by default. And I, I mean, it's not, it's not optimism in the sense that I'm, I'm seeing the, the light at the end of the tunnel or in the mm, sense that mm. I'm, I'm actually confident that this will pay off. But it's more of, in my opinion, that's a necessity. Yani, I don't yeah. any other relevant form of, of getting politically active and resisting what's going on unless we do it through, through those means. Right, but I appreciate the, even that sort of glimmer at the end of the tunnel because... Um, there, it, it is important to note that a lot of positive change has happened. And this goes back to our earlier conversation, but also really, we, we both saw it with our own eyes. People are not afraid. And that's, I think, a very important thing. And, and if I may, I mean, Megaphone News is a prime example of sort of the youth, or the, even for that matter, let's say the average person, uh, willing to speak their mind and willing to take risk. I, I fully identify with that. And we've seen the sort of the reaction at times from the state, intimidation, but it's not working. People continue to push and push and push. And there's obvious change as well. And we kind of talked about this earlier that any disenfranchised group is willing to now sort of push the envelope as well. And there's no, there's no going back on that. And I think even when the numbers are in the dozens at times, not even the hundreds, it doesn't matter. I don't think the numbers really reflect what's going on. But I, I, I'm going to sort of do a symbolic, uh, I'm going to ask, I'm going to put a symbolic question to you, and you can tear this down as much as you'd like. Students are taking responsibility. Women are front and center. Uh, the youth is still involved. Social pact is being discussed. All of that. That's within a year. And then, very good chance, Saad Hadidi will be prime minister in a few days. So... With that, do you, do you see that there's, I like the way you defined it as, as a state fighting against this population, but taking that and putting it on the side, do you see it as both sides in a way fighting for survival right now? That the regime is doing whatever it can to sort of re-coalesce. And then you have a protest movement that's doing all that it can to, to linger and to still mean something. Does that resonate with you? That it's almost like there's an existential battle on, on both sides, and it's maybe too early to determine who's going to prevail. Absolutely, but uh, mm. that even, I mean, that puts uh, the framework, if you want, in an even more radical way, mm. because there's no room for reform. We've reached a point of no return with this political class, and you, you mm. put it in a very good way. In my opinion, these people are, are really fighting an existential battle, uh, even more than us, maybe, because they know that the moment they will start compromising, that would be their end. And they know that despite their political differences, they're bound to show solidarity to each other as pillars of those regimes because they can only try to strive 
if they're united together. And we've seen it. I mean, we've seen the most absurd sorts of alliances, the most absurd sorts of political maneuverings for these people to remain in power. Uh, and when it comes to their material interests, it's the same story. Uh, we know that everybody is protecting today the, 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 the financial sector, as we know it, the, the banks and everybody, everything that's going on around it. So absolutely, these guys know what uh, the deal is, and they are fighting and will continue to fight and will continue to kill to protect their interests. And we're in a similar position. And this is why I defined us as a resistance. We're no longer within a framework of, it's no longer politics here. It's no longer politics. It's about life and death. It's about people being killed either deliberately, either through negligence, either through economic policies that make people strive. That's absolutely fair to, to present it the way you do. Uh, that's, in my opinion, this is the new version of, uh, of our political battle. Uh, and I am hopeful because you brought up the, the issue of fear and the fact that fear yeah. has, to a large extent, disappeared and that people no longer get intimidated and continue to insult politicians and figures that used to uh, to scare everybody are now uh, completely ridiculed. I think this is something that, that yes, I'm not going to say it gives me hope, but I can rely on it to say that there's still some stamina and some energy and yeah, for, for, for this fight to continue. Uh, it's not game over yet. Uh, when we will stop daring to speak out and basically to even just resist basically uh, with words, even if we're not able to do it differently. This is when I will start losing hope and being much more pessimistic about our, our prospects to, to, break, uh, to break this regime and uh, to make it fall. I share that sentiment fully. And I think that is the backbone of this whole moment is that everyone can speak their mind. And I, I, I fully agree that if that, if, and it's unlikely, it's an unlikely scenario that people sort of begin to be afraid once once more of speaking their mind and people go home out of fear yeah that's that's the end of this of this magic but i, I share that sentiment and i maybe we can sort of reflect now a bit on where megaphone is right now and mm -hmm. and i i mean I, I i like to follow as sort of somebody who's just seen this whole thing take off and it's really i, I it's a privilege to even ask you these questions cuz i it's for me it's it's I left AUB many years ago. I remember the AUB Secular Club. And I like it when you bring it up in, in various outlets that, yeah, it was a joke. It really was a joke. Even if people supported the, 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 the narrative, it was always dismissed as out of, the, out of politics as usual. But I can imagine now that group would be very important in, in any sort of discussion. Uh, alternative media. You guys are at the beginning, really, of this whole wave, this whole sort of uh, push against mainstream media that was very un unappealing, at least when trying to discuss ideas, real ideas. And now Megaphone News is almost almost a household name. I mean, Lebanese at home and abroad, people know Megaphone. Um, so let's say October 17 last year, October 17, and when this will be released, and maybe projecting a bit down the road do you see this becoming over time not mainstream let's say but but being included in serious discussions from all sectors whether it's adults who are afraid of civil war whether it's the youth that only know social media the diaspora all of the above that the alternative space has now become part of the 
sort of the day-to-day fabric. And this mm-hmm. includes politics and and media and what was considered outcasts are now sort of they're in the they're, they're on the table. Do, mm-hmm. do you see it that way and and do you see it sort of accelerating in that direction that sort of this is now where the debate is? I mean that's that's the ambition and uh, mm-hmm. yeah we're not scared of using the word mainstream. Mm-hmm. Our ambition become mainstream and is to be able to reach out beyond if you want uh, the echo chambers that sort of resonate with with our discourse our rhetoric our editorial line i mm-hmm. think we've done a good job in getting out of those those small bubbles after october 17 yeah. and this is something that is demonstrated in, in the numbers in terms of reach and share and all, and all of that mm-hmm. but i think there's still a lot of work to be done at this level uh, megaphone remains uh, a beirut focused uh, outlet when it right. comes to its audience but also its team which is based in the capital and that's something that in my opinion we need to work on to really be able to reflect the entire voices of, of, of the entire country mm. uh, and to hence have a base that is much more representative of the geographic distribution of people in this country uh, and when it comes to uh, also the age group i mean yes this was a platform that was initially designed for young people because young people were no longer finding any interest in following traditional media and hence becoming further marginalized by the political and public conversation. And yes, the effort was to to unpack, break down politics and present it in a different way on another platform in an attempt to engage that that segment of the population in the political conversation. And I think that this is the case today. Megaphone is not is not the cause, but one of the enablers and tools that has uh, helped uh, this process happen. But down the line, obviously, I'm extremely happy when a video gets downloaded and shared on a family chat, because that <laughs> means that we've, we've reached out the other, <laughs> yani, the other segment that, that is not necessarily following us online. Uh, right. And this has been happening more and more. And I mean, it is anecdotal and it's funny, but it's also something that we really seek. Uh, developing maybe new means on new platforms and mm. uh, finding mm. ways to speak to a much larger segment of the population. You know, it's funny. For, I like the way you just said that it sort of it feels good when you see sort of out of the bubble audience. It also feels good when you have the traditional media outlets sort of bringing on Twitter figures or even reaching out to alternative media for their own media purposes. So it's almost like they're catching on too. Mm-hmm. They're they're realizing that maybe they're not dinosaurs, but they're at times they seem to be out of the loop, and they're almost clinging as well. So it's almost like mm-hmm. everyone is fighting for survival in a way, in a different way. I appreciate our conversations because they tend to be short as well. So I'm going to wrap it up with just asking you uh, a very big question and just where you see Lebanon moving in terms of the social pact discussion. And this was something that was coming up regularly during the protests. It's, I think, still just a thought process. The, the, maybe the, the debate is being heard on streets sometimes in, in various ways and outlets, but it's not a political debate yet, or at least it's not, there's no real discussion yet, at least in this sort of political framework that we're familiar with. Uh, how can that happen? Just in terms of making sure that certain words are no longer sort of cast aside. This could even be basic things like discussing what a Senate would mean or what secularism would translate to in the Lebanese story. And I've heard you say this in, in different ways that it's not like there's one version of this. I mean, you can interpret it in different ways and there's different sort of ingredients and 
it's almost like a recipe that you can play with. But mm -hmm. how do you see that happening in terms of politics, sort of having that debate yield into a, a, real, a real discussion that maybe the population participates in? Or is, or is, this, is this just too early right now because things are so dire and the economic pain is so severe that maybe it should be put aside? Maybe just, just your thoughts on, on where that is right yeah. now. No, I don't think it's too early at all. And I think that the regime has already uh, taken act of the fact that this formula, as it is today, can no longer last. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. the solution uh, that are being presented on the other side are the same old recipes that are based on the readjustment of uh, sectarian quotas or federalism uh, in a sectarian way, uh, not uh, not decentralization in, uh, in a way that I could accept it, for example, mm. but uh, fragmentation, the territorial fragmentation of the country on sectarian lines. So these are the old recipes that are being brought again. Uh, in front of that, I think we need to uh, uh, not, not, not to be afraid to have competing visions also within the opposition. So we're not about to have a unified one because there are disagreements on how we could envision this country and a new social contract. And I think that these conversations of course, their place is in the media and alternative media and all of that. But more importantly, these are conversations that should emanate and uh, emerge from grassroots efforts. Uh, these are topics that needs to be brought up, discussed, developed through those grassroots structure, political structure that we we're talking about. Not just to provide them with legitimacy, not just to, uh, but, but really for them to actually make sense and actually uh, match, if you want, the material interests and the ambition and the immediate needs of people. Because it's very easy for me to talk about sector state today uh, without really matching this reality with what people's uh, ambitions and dreams could be. Uh, I'm not saying this to compromise on the idea. I do believe that this is an essential step for us to liberate ourselves from the blackmailing and uh, yeah, of, 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 of the different sects uh, that, that have ruled this country. But I mean that this is only one part and one facet of the regime that we want to break. The regime has an economic component that, in my opinion, is very much ingrained. The way I look at sectarianism is not just through personal status law and not just through sectarian quota, but more importantly, through an extremely material reality, which is providing people with channels of welfare through clientelism and basically in, in exchange of political allegiance, or providing also through the same deal where you just to have, have to accept the status quo and you have to accept that this is the role of the sect and it's no longer the role of the state. So these need to be broken down in also creative ways. So secularism is one aspect, but there's an entire redefinition of the country in terms of its economy, in terms of, uh, of, of the role of the state as, uh, as a provider of welfare and security for everybody. So that's also a conversation that needs uh, to have a creative and grassroots component and i don't see it just happening at uh, sort of an elite level mm. uh, that would be completely disconnected from uh, from from people's needs ambitions ideas and so on yeah. but but is that something that you see taking shape soon or is i mean because it's it's one of those things that it just comes and goes in discussions it doesn't really i don't i don't see it materializing in any serious way yet how would you see it materializing? I mean, in other words, does it really, at the moment, does it live in media or alternative media? And I, I agree with the sentiment that uh, reform doesn't seem likely any in any way, shape, or form with the current establishment. Mm -hmm. But since it's not their role, necessarily, to even sort of advise on what a new social pact would look like, where does this debate live, at least at the moment? Is, is it only media? And that's mm -hmm. sort of, yeah. 
not at all. I mean, in the early days of the of the of the uprising, we had dozens of discussions happening daily in Beirut, in Tripoli, in Saida, in Nabati. It was an extremely lively moment to discuss those ideas, per yes. se. Mm-hmm. And that was a defining feature of, of, of the uprising, along sure. with uh, blocking roads, along with uh, all the creative side of it. There was a component that was just about debating ideas and reimagining sure. yeah. and taking ownership of this exercise of political imagination, which, which was essential back then, mm-hmm. which is very hard to have today. It's, it's hard to... To still imagine and still dream and still envision a sort of uh, yeah. alternative scenario for this country where, 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 at the time where we're in this position. But in my opinion, providing the structures for people to meet and to work together and to build solidarity networks will, in my opinion, definitely translate into platforms and forums mm-hmm. for such conversations to gain ground and to be developed. So for me, providing these structures is a primordial uh, need that we need. To have today as soon as possible precisely because everything is falling apart and because the collapse is is so, is so fast and right. these structures will be if you want uh, incubators and forums for for those conversations to flourish and to emerge and yeah i mean my, my fondest memories of october november december last year was seeing was listening to those debates on the streets of beirut in martyr square and samir asir square i mean it was just all over the place and uh and I mean, I know that many, for many reasons, they're not being had right now the same way. But it's it almost felt like that was the closest experience I had, where that debate was actually more meaningful, that it was sticking more, and more people were taking part. But I, I suppose, I mean, I'll, let's we can wrap it up with a final thought here. October 17 last year, I think it would be impossible for anyone to imagine October 17 this year. A lot of things that went wrong, no one could have imagined. COVID, and let alone the blasts. I think that really shook everyone to their core. And there's no going back. Pre-blast. I mean, there's just... October 17 is a very important date, but August 4 is very important as well. And I think it really sort of... It cemented the disdain of people towards what we've been living through. But I'm going to ask you now, October 17, 2020... The good and the bad. Project a year down the road. Can you imagine what Lebanon will look like a year from now? And I'll say this up front. I can't even, I can't imagine what good will take shape and what maybe unfortunate sort of (laughs) difficult stages will go through. It's impossible for me to see where things are moving. And I think that may even reflect on just because things are so bad right now, it's difficult to project. You don't want things to get worse. You're actually afraid of projecting. But if I can ask you, in, in all fields, and maybe just uh, from your own immediate sort of uh, standpoint, do you see things better a year from now in general? Or are you maybe more cautious and maybe maybe less hopeful that a, it, it's not going to get better in a year? It may take years and years before we see real real positive change uh, on the horizon. So just the year a year in, ahead from now, how do you see things moving? I mean, my, my hope would be that we, we, you know, a resistance to this regime would be in a stronger position in terms of our organization, our ability to resist all the different attacks that will, that will come. And we know that they're coming. We know what's waiting for us at the economic level. And it's quite terrible. So all, all I hope for is that, yes, it's, you know, we will be able to survive. We will be able to, to stick around and to continue doing what we're doing. And to actually have much stronger uh, ties, if you want, 
uh, and, and, and a much more proactive form of solidarity that will allow us to be robust and to resist uh, what's coming next. In terms of immediate change impact at the political economic level, I will not uh, I will not comment on that because I mean what I mean from what I see today we're not we're not going in in a good direction and yeah most likely even if we're able to to gain leverage as an opposition it will even still be hard to to have any impact on the immediate unfolding of events yeah uh, but at the same time I know that things are not so linear and I know that things can also move in a different in a different direction and that some opportunities that can, can be completely un, unthought of, like the 17th of October, which is, wasn't something that anybody sure. has planned, can still happen again. So I always go from the perspective that we need to do our homework and then the rest is not really in, in our hands. Well, you're doing your homework, at least. That's that's for sure. And uh, it's always a pre- pleasure to talk to you, Jean. I, uh, Same here. I hope, I mean, I'll see you in Beirut. I'll be returning later this winter. Before we say goodbye, though, can you please just share this with everyone listening and watching? What did you call this microphone? R2D2, that's Star Wars. I mean, now now it's, this is now the podcast microphone. I'm going to keep it with me. Thank you so much, Jean. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening, and a friendly reminder to help support this podcast by contributing through Patreon or PayPal. All links are in the details box below. Until next time, I'm Rani Shatah, and this is the Beirut Banyan.